There we go. All right, cool. Um, Mike should pop in here in a minute. Great. But yeah, so this is uh, Name to be Determined <laughs> podcast. I love it. Um, wine, wine industry, spirits, but mostly wine. My name's Jared, uh, and I'm with uh, my associate, Mike, who just popped in. And then uh, we're also here with uh, Michael Cruz from uh, Cruz Wine. How's it going? Cruz Wine Co. Cool. So we're getting we're we're just going to get started. Um, Mike, you just popped in. We we just kind of chatted here for a few minutes, but um, yeah. So we we started this this I guess podcast series um, as a way to learn a little bit, um, and also because you know, we're always learning for one, um, but also to to share something uh, with the public and with, you know, maybe clients or whoever, maybe just wine nerds that, um, you know, to, you know, share some information that, you know, maybe wouldn't be able to happen before. So I have a little bit of extra time, um, given the circumstance right now. So I figured how can I positively affect, um, or, you know, how can I positively add something to my community? So, so I was like, Hey, Mike, right. Michael, uh, would you do an interview with us? And and he actually said, "Yeah." <laughs> I'm not doing much either. <laughs> so so yeah. So I guess um, tell us a little a little bit about yourself, Michael. Like I guess from from the beginning, like what what got you into wine? Yeah. Um, well, I'm a barrier kid. Uh, I grew up in San Francisco and Petaluma. Went to college at Cal, and so I've I've been in Northern California all my life. Um, and I thought it was going to be a research scientist and, uh, to make a long story short, that didn't work out. (laughs) And, uh, at, uh, 26 found myself working at Sutter home, um, in the lab there and long story short, now I make wine. (laughs) I, I, uh, I think the thing was for me is that there wasn't any like magic bullet or magic time that I knew that I was going to be making wine or that that was going to be the, the thing. Mm-hmm. But I think when I sort of left science, I was so interested in doing things with my hands and, and producing a product that other people could understand. Um, there was something so esoteric about what I was doing in science that I it was hard for my parents who were great folks, but relatively blue collar people Mm -hmm. to understand what I was doing. And I felt like there's something about a bottle putting it in front of somebody that was sort of, I don't want to be crazy and say it was a universal language, but, but people know what wine is. (laughs) It's a form of of expression, I think. Right. Right. It's something that we can all engage in culturally pretty easily for all the talk of it being, a. um, a high-end luxury product. And I think there is truth to that too. For the most part, people know how to open up a cork, you know? And then, um, so is there, I guess one of the, the things that, that really attracted me even before I knew anything about your, your, your wines was, uh, cause I'm, I'm a marketing background guy. So uh-huh. before I even knew Michael Cruz my, or Cruz Wine Co, Ultramarine, anything, um, I uh-huh. had seen a couple of the, of the bottles 
um, on the shelves throughout California. <laughs> and definitely you're yeah. at the time, and I think still, I, I think there's some kind of imitations now, but at the time it was kind of like unique. You, you had like a play on like classic oil with spray paint yeah. on the, on the, on the front. Uh, what, what's the, what's, what's the idea behind that? Well, I think that it's funny that there's an element of that that is so core to who we are, but is not actually my work, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, I have a design team, Force and Form. They're two guys who I worked with on other projects and friends of friends. And we had already talked from the beginning that I wanted them to do our uh, the cruise labels. Um, and we had talked about kind of what cruise was about and this idea of it being uh, this kind of more older take on California wine and, and what California used to do prior to sort of uh, you know, judgment of Paris and all these other kind of things that have made wine a little more fanciful there. Um, and, but still acknowledging that, you know, Valdier is not exactly something on everybody's, uh, uh, tip of, tip of everybody's tongue. Mm -hmm. So the idea really was this sort of more, um, classic winemaking, which is the old engravings and all that. And then the splash of color being the sort of nod to modernity, um, and that was kind of it. And I, it's funny, that was actually their second or third revision. I don't remember exactly, but the moment I saw it, I was like, that's it. They did one other revision, which uh, my sister and I found kind of kicking around the office the other day, because that was back in 2012, I guess, mm -hmm. when they first did them. And it's this, we're, we're going to make a wine for it, I know, because, but it's like this gothic if you, if you could envision like an old English, like church, uh, uh, like cemetery churchyard kind of thing. And it was just very like, um, I don't know, Burton esque or something okay. like that. And it, it's, uh, I'm very glad we didn't do it because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really quite dark, but, um, I think it'd be so fun to do for like a, a one-off or something cool. like that. But I, I think to, to the sort of bigger question, I think, labels the good part about having a small winery like us is that you get to do the whole widget and there's not eight people discussing whether or not that's the right label or decision by committee. whether or not we should have a, yeah exactly yeah. and i think that like there's this element of like why do we have women on two of the pet nats that are both valdegays and one of the guys that's not valdegay it doesn't matter like that those just worked in the context of what we were doing. And I think that that was the, that's what I cared more about from the beginning. And it, and it didn't matter if the, some labels make sense and some don't, it's just, there's a unifying um, thread to all of them. And I, I just really like that. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I like it cool too. You know, the thing is, is at this point, um, you know, Instagram is, you know, a poor, a, you know, some sort of marketing, whether we want it to be, right. whether we're happy with it or, or whether we think it bastardizes or whatever it may be. Right. Um, the visual, you know, like it's, it's the same thing with, with food. Like you eat with, you know, with your eyes before you do with your mouth. So sure. I sure. think, it, sure. I think it's important, but also I think it's, it's cool to, there's, you could tell there's some people that put a lot of like thought and effort into it and, and then some that don't. 
That doesn't mean that the wine is any better or worse, but I think it, 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 I think it's kind of cool to have that, especially, you know, as a, as a business person to, to have, you know, the thought behind the, what do you say? The, the details. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think the thing with social media generally, the thing that I find so interesting is that we have never had a moment in our lives where we can communicate with the people that are crafting the things that we enjoy on the level that we have now. Right. And I think that like, so before we started recording, we were talking about bread baking and, um, I think it's one thing to you and I can bake bread and my family has a long history of doing it. I make bread with my grandma's sourdough. That's 70 years old or something like that at this point. And I've been making bread all my life, but I've only been doing it two weeks. (laughs) Well, perfect, but perfect. But it doesn't matter. Right. The point is, is that we can also go on Instagram and we can see these people that do this professionally and they're still doing, they're still at home like us, you know, and we get to see them make bread the way that they would do it at the bakery in their own home. And we can see that and we can interact with that. And, um, that's, it's amazing to me. (laughs) I find that so wild. And I think that that's something that, um, I really, I really appreciate. I don't take that for granted that people can text me and be like, you know, I opened a bottle of ultramarine and was, or text me, DM me and be like, this was the most amazing wine. How did you do it? You know? And look at two in the morning, I'm not going to answer everybody, (laughs) you know, but I do, I do genuinely try to, um, to interact with folks because I think that that's, especially now it's important. It, it, it means a lot to me. I think it's the connection. I think with a lot of things, um, whether it's food or wine or coffee or, or whatever, it's a lot of it's time and place, but a lot of it's just the connection with. And that's what's, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone, but it's, that's a, a portion of why we like it, right? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Anyone can go down to the corner store and get a really cheap bottle of wine. Right. Um, but I think, thankfully, you know, we're in a, a time where um, we're willing to, to, you know, put a little bit more effort into it and put a little bit more right. value into it. I'd rather drink less wine and have something nicer. I'd rather eat less meat and eat right. You know, right. better, better quality meat. Um, exactly. And I think the thing is, is that it's not, um, we're not trying to get around the butcher. I, I, I have this way of talking about how to sell wine online, which I don't, I don't want to get too into the businessy side of here, but I don't want to be the, I don't know, the purveyor of like luxury cars or something like that and be like, you know, I have the new model of this other thing. I only have two of them and I want you to have it. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to be the butcher, the old fashioned butcher. You come in, maybe you're just going to order some ground beef sometimes. I got ground beef for you. You know, we got monkey jacket all day, right? Mm -hmm. But I do also want to be like, hey, this Alder Springs Blanc de Noir, I only have six bottles of it, you know, to give you. But you and I have a long relationship. We've we've gone through a lot of things together, a lot of releases together. I, I want you to have this. This is something that you would enjoy. And, I, and having that interaction with customers that maybe I've never even met um, is something that I really love. Cool. 
How, how are you? I know that went off a little way. No, but. no. I, I think it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, like how, because are, mo- are you mostly direct to consumer or are you both half and half? Or Yeah, I mean, right now we probably are, by dollar amount, let's say 35, 40% DTC. Okay. Um, and then maybe another 30% export. And then the remainder is, uh, you know, domestic distribution. Cool. What's, what's the, and this isn't not, this is just pure curiosity. What's your export? Like what countries are are the most interested, I guess? It's, it's Asia predominantly because that's sort of where we started on export. So it's, um, uh, Japan, number one by a, a pretty wide margin, uh, Singapore, South Korea, a little bit of Taiwan. Um, and then on the European side, it's mainly Scandinavia. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, Worldwide. It's pretty wild. <laughs> it's pretty wild. It's not what I expected ever. I'll put it that nice. way. Nice. Very grateful. I guess to, to, to talk about ultramarine a little bit, because I think that's sure. what everyone wants to always hear about and learn about and talk about. <laughs> um, yeah. We'll get it out of the way early. <laughs> I love ultramarine. Um, it's, I think everyone does. It's one of those uh-huh. things that you're just like, you just knock it out of the park every time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, like, can you, like, what's the backstory on ultramarine? Like, how did that start? Did that start first, or that started first? So, so I started that with a couple of buddies, uh, Graham Waymeyer and Ryan Bradley, and uh, even though I'm sort of the figurehead of it and i do the most of the work too but but um they did start it with me and we um we had no idea what we were doing i think it's really important people have this idea that somehow like i had an idea that we were trying to do this Mm -hmm. and that wasn't the case at all i mean we basically got drunk on my back back porch and took some extra wine and turned it into the 2008 vintage and, um, we did that a couple of years, 2008 and 2009. And then we sort of thought there was maybe some there, there and threw together a little bit of money and, and talked to Charlie Heinz. And that would have been the 2010 vintage. Okay. Um, and we got very lucky. I mean, it was a great year for sparkling wine, um, was insane acid and it was, I guess we had an idea of how we were going to make it, but that was refined over the years as well. So it's sort of like people kind of ask me, you know, what my favorite vintage of ultramarine is. And I think the 2010 is the one that it's the first one. It's the one that's like closest to my heart, but I think probably the 14s are like the ones that I actually feel like, okay, now I know what I'm doing sort of, you know, gotcha. or not know what I'm doing, but I, I feel like I, kind of have a sense of <laughs> I don't know. and i guess i guess I just know. overarchingly like what is like what's the the thought process for for right, right. For ultramarine so basically the idea of ultramarine is that and and again this is after 10 years of reflecting on <laughs> on what the hell we're doing but i i think it was this idea of if we took the techniques of the growers that we really respected and applied it to California, um, kind of almost as a straight line, what would we get in California? Would we get something that was 
like what the growers were doing, or do we get something that is a more pure expression of terroir in California, but with bubbles in it? And I think we got the latter. Um, and I think that as we've, well, I'll tell you a story. Like one of the things that was sort of troubling to me about Ultramarine is that from the beginning, we knew that we could only make about, well, from Charlie's Vineyard, maybe 500 cases, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and starting in 13, we tried to add other vineyards onto it and it wouldn't work. I mean, we just couldn't get it to be what we sort of wanted. Now, uh, 17, 18, 19, we added other vineyards, yep. um, kind of doing the same way as before, but one of I one of the things I sort of realized about sparkling wine generally is that when I started working with these other vineyards, that the ultramarine way turned out to only work in a small subset of vineyards. Okay. So I don't want to get too esoteric no, here, yeah. but basically the there's something about these very cool coastal vineyards that that took the ultramarine model and, and still worked kind of. And one of the things that we've been trying to do the past maybe five years uh, with Cruise Tradition and others is taking other techniques and sort of like making them work more broadly with different vineyards. I'm getting in the weeds, but I mean more like playing around with more oxidation or, you know, ultramarine, for example. No, I I had the tradition, what, two days ago, and the oxidation on there was was cool. But yeah, it was was definitely – you could tell that it was, you know, on purpose, right? It it feels, it, yeah, of course. It feels more round and welcoming, I think, than ultramarine, which I think always takes takes a hard edge at, at lasers. People. It's it's always funny. It lasers. lasers. It's always funny. Like people people are always like, you know, I expected ultramarine to be like, I don't know, rich or something like that, and it's. Not really. Well, how is the, the 10 now? How is it tasting? When's the last time you tried? Well, so that's interesting. I tasted the 10 um, not too long ago, maybe six months, um, and it was good. The 11 now is tasting really well, like just really starting to open up, and you still get the the laser precision, but just the, the Blanc de Blanc I'm speaking yep. of but has a little more kind of um, – smoothness to it the 11 rosé is tasting great now too cool if there's i mean i think we released 90 cases of that wine or something so i don't know i don't know how much exists yeah but. i think i only have a couple left i don't have any of the 11 but yeah. I, I have last year's allocation of just i think i have the blanc de noir and the and the rosé left yeah yeah, yeah. Just the, the <laughs> 14s were great the 15s were they need time um but yeah, you know, it's the thing. It's with everything, right? If it's too early, just open it and let it sit in the bottle for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine, you know. Just drink it slower. Cool. Um, so, I guess your style of winemaking, like you know, when we talked, you know, when we first got hooked up together, you're you're like, you're uh-huh. like hey, I'm not a natural winemaker. I'm what you call, yeah. you know, natural yeah. adjacent, which I think is <laughs> right, right, which right. I think is a, a great. Uh, description. Um, but yeah, can you uh, explain kind of like the differences 
and your technique or, or what, you know, I guess what your vision for, you know, that whole thing. Like, I, you know, I don't want you to compare or sure. contrast yourself, but you know what I mean? Like everybody's different. Everybody makes different decisions. Sure. But how, what, like, well, how, what is that for you? For me, I think the, it's not even a criticism, but my, the reason why I said it that way to you is that I just don't love the idea of defining my wine by the wine making when the vineyards are vastly more important. Right. So outside of monkey jacket and tradition, every wine I make, I guess that's not true. The nouveau as well, but anyway, outside of those three examples, the rest of the 15 some odd wines I make all have a vineyard on them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's by far the most important part. I agree for me, because I think that what we're trying to do with cruise wine company is show, and, and I'm not just us, obviously there's plenty, but, um, is trying to show California with, um, with a little bit more kind of, uh, pleasure drinkability and, um, fruitiness, I guess we're not afraid of the sunshine or anything like that. And I think that, um, the vineyards that we work with are all, all have something to say. And I want to let them say that. I think a lot of your wines do actually, like you could blind, I think you can blind your wines easier than most. I don't know if that's just me, but, um, and I think it's that fruit character. I I think you you really figured out how to embrace that without, Mm. um, without being, you know, cloying or over the top. I don't know. Right. I don't know. Well, thank you for saying yeah, yeah. that. I, I think there's, I think there's truth to that. I mean, I, I would say that like in terms of the winemaking, you know, we're pretty much a, an open book. We don't filter anything. We don't add acid. We don't add bacteria or yeast outside of the tirage culture. Um, so we're not doing anything weird. Um, Generally, we only sulfur twice, maybe once in the case of like Chardonnay or Muscat or something. But I guess the thing for me is that, uh, well, let's see. There's a couple of vineyards we don't work with that are in transitioning to organic. I think that's an important part to say. So not all the vineyards we work with are organic. So that already puts me out of the running, I think, for mm-hmm. the the natural wine thing. And um, even if they were all organic, I still think that that's not necessarily the that title is not necessarily the most important thing for me. That's for all. sure. So I don't know. It's, I get it. It's it's sort of funny. It's like I I understand consumers wanting to use that as a way to sort of classify folks and 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 writers too and everything else. And I think that that's fine. Um. But just ask me about the wines, and I'll tell you everything you want to know about them. You know, for what I sure. Mean? And that's and that's what I think. <clears throat> in general, there's definitely the people that are going to go with the dogma, and then and right. then there's, I think, I luckily I think the majority is it's more about that honesty and that um, just saying, hey, this is what it is. You know, well, this is well, how. Okay, I made so it. let me give you a good example. You know what I mean. Let me give you good examples. So the Deming um, Petnat in 18, one of the best sparkling wines I've ever made, just straight juice, nothing in it. Um, <coughs> no, no sulfur, nothing. 
in 19, pH is a little bit higher because 19 was a lower acid year. Turns out there's a little bit of kind of like mousiness if you don't sulfur the wine. So we sulfured a little bit and now the wine's maybe not as good as 18, but still yeah, really quite good. And I don't like the idea that just adding the sulfur somehow diminishes the wine, right? Like I didn't do anything crazy. I'm making the wine so that you guys can consume it. And I think that's the thing. And like, I don't mind having that conversation. For sure. Um, nobody wants a mousy wine. No, it doesn't matter. Even if you're right. a natty head, it's right. nobody right. wants that. And, and, and there's right. so, gotta be certain things within reason that you gotta, that you gotta do to, to, to save your investment, your, your livelihood, sure. your, you know, you only get one chance a year, right? Right. Exactly. That's the wild part. I mean, if you think about it, like I'm 40, I turned 40 a month ago, seems like 18 years ago, <laughs> but, uh, that was a month ago. Nice. Happy birthday. And, uh, thank you. Thank you. And I think that like, I don't know how many more shots I get 30. It's crazy. Right. There's a, that's wild. I mean, I've, sorry to interject. There's a guy, I don't know if you know who he is. His name's Kiko Calvo. He's a Spanish winemaker. Uh I forget from where, but supposedly he's been traveling Northern and Southern hemispheres winemaking. So he's, I don't know if there's any truth to this, but that he has the most vintages Interesting. Out of anyone. This because he's been staging and doing nor- northern yeah. and southern hemisphere for so long. But yeah. It's funny. I um we started opening when we opened up the winery, we did a lot of custom crush work for other people and we, we still do. Um because I'm poor. But <laughs> uh it turns out like an amazing way to learn more too, because now you're getting instead of your own wines, you also get other folks making their wine. Um, and particularly for sparkling, it was a way for me to kind of, instead of doing one tirage a year or two tirages a year, I was doing like 40, 50, you know? So there was a, it was very helpful to learn and, and still is, but, uh, but yeah, you are limited by time in this industry, which is sort of an odd, an odd thing. It, it speaks more to the generational aspects of of, I don't know, being a French winemaker, a Burgundian winemaker that's had four or five generations of doing something. Yeah. Know? No, it's cool. It's um it's quite a thing that I think any kind of craft I'm I'm excited about. You know, I, I own a coffee roastery and, you know, I help, you know, distribute wine here in Nevada. So anything that I can relate to that takes a lot of practice and skill and thought and planning is um, there's a lot of there's not a lot of debate in, involved in that you know it's it's a craft it's kind of like right. Right. I busted my ass I tried to do what I did and this is this is what I came out with next year we're well and I do think this is the thing. thing that I exactly there's there's a, a I traveled in Japan a fair amount I mean not now but. <laughs> But I, but I would be, uh, and uh, it's always funny. Like there's this element of winemakers getting, and and I think a lot of different types of celebrities in Japan getting elevated to s- some type of celebrity status. Period. And I think one of the things that I find funny is that I think all I do is craft, same as you. 
right? There's no perfect. There's no suddenly I'm done. I finished it where it's, it's exactly what I want it to be and nothing more. And there's also no magic change that's going to happen this year um, about something that is what conservatively 15,000 years old, you know, I mean, let's say 5,000 in the modern, in the modern idea of it kind of like, I'm not going to magically understand something differently than somebody did 3000 years ago. Yeah. It's crazy how that works, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I have a forklift. That's cool. <laughs> and my press is probably better than they had, but that's about it. You know? Yeah. No, nah, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about. I guess another crazy thing is obviously the the climate that that we're living in right now. Today is we're recording this ahead of time, but you know today's April thirteenth. You know, right? Twenty twenty. I've been pretty much not. You know, I have a cafes here in Las Vegas and stuff, and those closed almost a month ago. Um, yeah. I guess yeah. with you know the climate, hopefully, you know this coronavirus thing is gonna is gonna taper off soon it looks like it already is but it's a new world now like it's yeah you know what i mean without being you know crazy alarmist about it but how, how do you think does that play into the decisions you make or you know well it's funny it it's 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 sort of weird because down to the brass tacks i mean winemaking is essentially a manufacturer right so things taking a month off or two months off, you kind of have to run your business so that you're built for that, right? Because anything could happen that blocks production. Your glass could be stuck in China or I don't use Chinese glass, but whatever. It could be stuck wherever it is or, you know. And so little dips are okay. Um, I can vouch for that glass. I've carried a lot of those cases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a there's production elements, right? And that's that's easy stuff kind of. What I am really curious about is these restaurants that have been just the lifeblood and the supporters of me and not just me, but so many other small wineries that people just took chances on. Oh man, I mean, I want nothing more than to go out and eat now, man. <laughs> I want nothing more than that, yeah. you know. Like, and and we see it here in Nevada and specifically in Las Vegas. You know, our on-site consumption is well over well over ninety percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's 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 crazy, and it's it gives me goosebumps, and yeah, we're we're all. Yeah, we're all here to to try to make it work, you know. Um, well, I mean, that's and that's the crazy part. Like, can you imagine a casino like opening up in three months, and then every other seat is like blocked off or something like that? Do you know what I mean to maintain distancing? Like, I don't know. I I don't know what that world looks like. Um, we will soon. Yeah, it's crazy. We'll, we will soon. Exactly. We yeah, will yeah. really very very soon. You know. Um, yeah, I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful. I right. think uh, I think the one thing that you know, some positives that that have come out of this is, um, I think people are gonna, you know, sh- what do you say, shed the fat, cut the fat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're only they're gonna mm-hmm. do things that I think make them happy. I think they're they're right. gonna, you know, 
hopefully, I think people are going to understand that um, they're going to have to vote with their their wallets a lot of the time with a Absolutely. lot of decisions. Um, like people hear it and you see it all the time, buy local. You know what I mean? Right. Like those things right. are important. You know, what's going to happen like right. to that small producer, that small wine producer or that small restaurant or that small right. wine shop or, you know, any of those things right. um, is going to be more well, important. Well, I think, I think at this point, at this point, don't worry about the producers. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the thing. Like I think most of us, I'm not saying we're not in trouble. We're definitely in trouble. I'm highly leveraged. <laughs> but but I mean the thing is is that the the people that I really do worry about are the people that that are shut down completely. Like you were saying with your cafes and and the restaurants and the wine shops and things like that. And like that's that's who I really uh, worry about. Because that's where people are being creative. That's you know? where they're being creative, but that's also that time and place where, where those those things are experienced, right? right. That, those right. those those right. moments. That's where those moments happen, and those uh, those memories happen. Totally. All right, let's kick it back up. <laughs> um, cool. <laughs> dark. I know, right? It's not that dark. I'm I'm hopeful, but it's you know it's the reality that we're living in right now. I think it's, it's funny. It's, you have to be hopeful. And I think, and if we're not, then we're all in the same boat anyway, kind of, you know? Yeah, for sure. So if you, um, if you weren't making wine, what, what do you think you'd be doing right now? I mean, that's really funny. I think I probably would be, I probably would figure out a way to go back into science. I think, I I think that's probably what I, I just, I'd love to like biochem or Biochem, yeah, I still love the research aspect of things, and I still love the uh, the. I always liked about biochemistry. I always liked the the doing stuff with your hands on that too. You you know what I mean? It still had enough wet lab to kind of keep me uh, keep me working. So I would probably be doing that. Um, that's that's a dumb answer, but if it happened later, because <laughs> so if it happened now, let's say. I'd, I could, I could drive a forklift in a warehouse if this doesn't work out, you know. For sure, we all have training in a lot of different things now. So, right, 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 right. <laughs> cool. I guess. Um, what 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 are you excited about as as far as like other winemakers? What do you like to drink? Like, what's you know what it's, keeps you inspired? It's so funny. This has been a this has been a really weird time for for drinking because there's no reason not to drink everything. Right. I mean, I'm drinking right now. I actually, so I have, uh, exactly. So I, <laughs> I've been opening up a lot of stuff that, Oh, look at you. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I've been drinking a lot of things that I thought I wouldn't be opening so soon. Kind of. So, um, a lot of the fun bottles that my friends from champagne have given me over the years, a lot of that stuff has been being opened. Any, um, any cool grower stuff, or what are you excited about? Champagne? It's all it's all basically grower stuff. I mean, I'm so dumb in terms of like exciting. Like, I don't really have that many new producers that I uh, drink. But um, you know, I was gifted an amazing bottle of Merino Ledru that I opened up the other day. That that's great. Um, Etienne Kalsak and Fred Savar and. Jerome Provo and 
uh, Alexander Chartan. Those are all my my go-tos, okay. I guess. Um, and they inspire the shit out of me, truthfully. Um, other smaller producers, I mean, let's see, what did we open the other day that I loved? Um, some of Jamie Motley's wines are always impressive to me. Um, anytime I get something from Hardy to drink mm-hmm. or, uh, and the maskin stuff, I'm always excited to drink too. Okay. And I don't know if those are inspiring so much as they are kind of just making sure that we're on the right page or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else to add or to anything else that you want to chat about? No, I, I'm just really glad for, for chatting with you and hanging out and, <laughs> Hope everybody's safe. I out think there. it's cool. Like, definitely, um, this is a first for us, and we're going to continue to do these. Yeah. Um, I think Hardy's going to come, maybe do the next one. We're going to start right. with a lot of the our, our favorite domestic producers, and then and then go from there. Yeah, you know, my Spanish. Well, is Hardy, bad. Hardy's a mess. <laughs> go uh, ahead. Uh, no, no, nothing. Nothing. You say Hardy what? No, I was just going to say Hardy's a Hardy's a great and is going to be much better than me definitely release <laughs> hardy um he can talk to anybody he's 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 like yeah. electricity in the room yeah exactly exactly so hardy comes from a sales background i come from a lab background and that's all you need to know about the it's okay it's all right there's no judgment <laughs> you know what i mean i think for us it's it's just kind of like opening that that door and hopefully um People can, you know, listen and and just say, hey, like I learned yeah. some cool stuff about about Michael or, you know, cruise wine right. or you know or whatever. Um, for us, it's just totally. it's just about, like you said, um, trying to open up that connection a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Well, cool. Well, thanks thanks for chatting with me today, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk soon. Thanks so much, man. Talk All to right, you soon. Thanks, Michael. All right, bye. My name is Jared J. And thank you for listening to TBD, To Be Determined, a wine and spirits podcast.